All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm waiting for some people to pile in. Uh, getting used to the odd delay that live streams have. Haven't had to deal with that before, so <clears throat> hoping folks will pile in here pretty soon. Um, and then once they do, then I'll start talking about what we're going to do today on um, my first ever real live stream. Did <laughs> it was bad. Did a couple tests yesterday. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. You, uh, you get everything you think ready, right? You test everything that you can, and then suddenly, then you go live and suddenly you realize, oh, this doesn't work at all. Like nothing is working. And so yesterday was an exercise in, um, in trying to figure out technical difficulties. So it's pretty much just a few tests um, to try to figure out how to make this work. But now I think I have it working. Um, and so as soon as we get a few people in here, I'm going to do an introduction. I'll talk about myself um, a little bit. I won't bore you with all the details. Oh, my horrible childhood and my love. No, none of that. I had a great childhood. But um, None of that, but um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself as it pertains to the aquarium hobby. And then I'll uh, talk to you about this new fish room that, that I just finished building and stocking. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I've got a lot of experience building fish rooms. This is probably my fifth or sixth fish room. And I finally did it right, at least I think I did. Um, you know, I took all that experience of the previous fish rooms and uh, built this one and I, I'm happy with it. I've had the tanks fully stocked and going for almost a month now. Um, I've had a lot of tanks stocked more than that, but fully stocked pretty much for about a month and so far so good. So I, there's of course a few things I would do slightly differently, but I'm happy with almost everything. So um, yeah, I'll share how I did that with you. So got some folks here waiting for some more to come in. What are we at one? Hey, it's a start. This is the first one. So that's a start. Welcome, whoever you are. Um, and so a little bit about myself. So my name's Dan Hodnett. Um, and I'll tell you about how I got into fish, I think is the best way to kind of start this. So I Growing up, I grew up in, in California, but not the California that everyone thinks about when they think of California. Um, I didn't grow up in the middle of a big city or any kind of like urban sprawl or anything like that. Um, I grew up in Northern California in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. A beautiful, beautiful place. Grew up on seven acres, kind of out in the middle of nowhere and um, on a homestead more or less. So we grew our own vegetables and a lot of our own fruits. Uh, we had a massive garden and uh, we had chickens for meat and eggs. We raised goats for milk and meat. We uh, raised rabbits for meat. We had ducks and we had geese and we had all kinds of animals. So it wasn't exactly a self-sufficient homestead. My father still worked, but I grew up in that environment. Um, you know, working for your food, a lot of hard work, a lot of connection to the land and a lot of connection to nature. Um, on the seven acres we had, there were woods and there was a stream and there was a pond that I could go visit um, just off the property, but I could go anyway. And I spent a lot of time just, uh, you know, watching birds and uh, polywogs and frogs and garter snakes and catching bugs and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of got this fascination with nature from a very young age. And then um, how I got into fish was when I was a wee tyke, <laughs> I... Uh, oh, probably about sixth grade or so. My, my little brother, he <clears throat> went to a secondhand store and he, he saw this 10 gallon fish tank and it came with, you know, the clown puke gravel and the under gravel filter and the hood and uh, the incandescent lights that you screwed in. Um, 
or his might have been super fancy. His might have had a fluorescent light bulb. I can't remember exactly. But so he got this 10 gallon tank and uh, we set it up on the kitchen counter. And I remember we stocked it with, uh, there was a rosy barb in there. Um, there were some sword tails in there. Uh, there were probably some tetras in there. And those are the fish I most remember. So I just, I fell in love with his <laughs> aquarium. Um, it was amazing to me. I loved it. And so I got one. And then I got two. And then I got three. And pretty soon I had um, probably 15 aquariums in my bedroom. I just, I just caught the bug. I loved the fish. There was something just hypnotic and peaceful about watching them. And so I, uh, that's how I spent a lot of my time. And um, so that's how I got into it. Now, there was a, a pet store, it was called Frontier Pets. It was run by this guy named Keith Johnson. Um, and I spent a lot of time there. And I read every book I could on fish. And I went to the library and just checked out everything. A lot of doctor, <laughs> a lot of Axelrod stuff, a lot of how to, Breed Aquarium Fishes, that series that he wrote. Um, these old books where the big selling point was it has, you know, 20 color plates in it. So it's all black and white. And then in the middle, there's this section, you know, with a few colored pictures of some of these fish that are all like using scientific names that are no longer in use and all misidentified and all this stuff. But... <clears throat> but it's what we had. This was the early 90s. And I distinctly remember sitting in, um, in my seventh grade science class and like being down at the desk and the teacher's there. And I'm like trying to watch the teacher, but I'm hiding this book under the desk called like Keeping Angelfish for Profit or something like that. It was all about how to bring into angelfish and make money off of it. Kind of like all these videos that everyone's doing about breeding fish for profit. But this was about how to make real money breeding angelfish. Because back then, I guess you could. Um, that was kind of before the industry changed. And um, there was, I think, uh, I think the uh, fish farms in, in Southeast Asia were kind of just developing and things like that. So anyway, I remember distinctly in seventh grade reading that book. Um, Anyway, I went to uh, Frontier Pets with Keith Johnson, the owner, and I had read this book and seen all these pictures of killifish. And I remember going to him and saying, look, I, I really want some killifish here. Is that something you can get? And lucky for me, he was a former member of the AKA, the American Killifish Association. And he ended up giving me this stack of JACAs, the uh, Journal of the American Killifish Association and uh, that he had. And I, I still have them. And um, they were, you know, articles from the 80s and 90s and all this. And I read all this information about killifish and it was just wonderful. And he did another thing for me that was really important is he knew that in town there was a guy named Jim Forche who uh, had killifish. And so, he gave me Jim Forche's contact information and I was, I don't know, I was 14 maybe. I called up Jim Forche and I was like, hey, I, I'm interested in killifish. Keith Johnson said you might have some. I was wondering um, if I could buy some from you. And he's like, yeah, come on over. And so I go to Jim Forche's house. Um, by the way, if you don't know who he is, he's been on lots of collecting trips. He's been in the hobby for a long time. He runs the aquatic bookshop. Um, and, um, he's just, he's kind of one of those folks in the, in the hobby that's been doing it for a long time, knows a lot of stuff, knows a lot of people. And so anyway, I didn't know that at the time, but so I go to Jim Forche's house, I go down to his basement and I see my first fish room and it blows my mind. It's this room downstairs, just full of aquariums that are just full of all these beautiful fish including a ton of killifish. So I saw my like first killifishes live and in person instead of on the pictures. And my mind was blown and I just 
loved that. And so I went there and he ended up, he's such a nice guy. He ended up sending me home with a bunch of pairs of killifish. He wouldn't take any money for them. And um, I remember, what did I get from him? I remember a few of them. One was um, one was a Phaneus mento, um, which looks like a, a nigropinus species, uh, black with all these bright white dots all over it. Really cool fish. Um, another one was what at the time I think was called Mirabalis takwai. Um, and I forget what the new scientific name is, um, or even what the uh, genus name is. It's escaping me, but it, it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful spangled killifish with red on it. I mean, he gave me some other stuff too, but those are the two that I, I remember. And so I took him home, and I started breeding killifish in in these aquariums I had in my bedroom. And Jim became a mentor. He became a friend. And right now he's like my, he's like family. He, him and his, his uh, wife and his daughter are like family to me. They're, they're, you know, some of my closest friends. And, um, I'll just always be grateful to Keith Johnson over at Frontier Pets for, for connecting me with such a great mentor. Um, Jim and his wife would, would drive me to fish club meetings. We'd go to the uh, Sacramento Aquarium Society we would go to the Bay Area Killifish um, Association's meetings to the West Coast weekend that they have, which is like this big uh, killifish convention they have in the Bay Area. And he, 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 he and his wife, Agnes, wonderful lady, just um, took me under their wing and, and helped nourish me in the hobby and as a human being. And uh, up through college, my the college I attended, one of the colleges I attended, I've attended several, um, was very close to their house. And so after a long day of work, I would go to the Forche's house, eat dinner. They would make dinner for me. And then I would go to class. And then often I would come back after class and crash um, until I had to get up and go to work the next day. Um, so... These are the type of people that I've met in this hobby, and it's one reason why, why this hobby is so important to me. So that's a little bit about myself and how I got into fish. Um, killifish are my first kind of true love, and one thing I, I've done a lot of work with. Um, also done a lot of live bears. Swordtails are one of my favorites because they were one of the earliest ones that we kept and that I bred successfully as a kid. And I just love their behavior. I love watching a male swordtail displaying and like zipping around a female in circles backwards um, to, to try to impress her. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, what else was there? Um, uh, some cichlids, some catfish, uh, splash tetras. I bred splash tetras on accident. That was, that, that's a cool story. That's for another day. But some kerosens, um, a lot of things, live berries, egg layers, egg scatterers, um, a lot of a lot of different bettas, wild type bettas, and betta splendens. So over the years, um, been doing this for I guess uh, more than a quarter of a century now. Man, feel old. Will that in my bald head make me feel old? But um, so been doing this for a while, and I've loved every minute of it. Now I'm lucky enough that I have married a wonderful woman who is completely supportive and, <laughs> and has put up when we were um, young and poor and struggling through college and all that, um, put up with shelves of aquariums in the bedroom, aquariums on the patio, aquariums in the living room. Um, I mean, she's just been so supportive and I'm so lucky to have her in my life. And now... Um, now I've got it all down here. So this is a basement and, um, this is the new fish room and I love it. I think it's fantastic. And my wife loves it because it's down here, right? <laughs> so it's, it's contained, um, which is good. So, um, yeah, <laughs> So I want to talk about this room for a little bit. Um, a couple of things were important 
for me when I did this. I wanted to do it right. So um, from that first fish room in my bedroom to a basement fish room that my parents uh, were supportive as well and let me have a room in the basement as a kid and I set up about 50 fish tanks down there. Um, sadly, Frontier Pets went out of business and so I, I bought a lot of their aquariums, mostly 20 gallons, and um, put them up down there. Uh, but that didn't have, it was hardly heated, it wasn't insulated, um, it was really hard to heat the room. Um, I, it didn't, I, I didn't have like a, a good central air pump, a good central air system. I didn't have any kind of drain system. It was all siphons all the time. Um, so I learned from that, that I didn't want that anymore. And then on through the different iterations and different college housing of a, a rack on the wall in the bedroom and, and all these things. Um, also I've, I should mention this, I've worked in, uh, several, stores. Um, so I've, I've worked at a couple pet stores managing the fish department, um, often the reptile department as well. And so done that. Um, also worked further in the industry at a large breeding facility, wholesale facility. And I don't want to say the names of the stores I worked at or the wholesale and breeding facilities I've worked at because um, there are going to be times going forward that I might do some real talk and talk about things I learned. And sometimes that might mean that I say some negative things about places I've worked and how they did things and how I learned, oh, that doesn't work. Don't do that. And, and I don't want to, I'm not here to offend. I'm not here to, um, to incriminate any, well, nothing criminal, but, you know, do any harm to anyone. Um, and so I don't want to say the names of the places because uh, I don't want to do them any harm, basically. And I want to be free to talk to you candidly about my experience as we go forward in future videos and future live streams. And I don't feel like I can do that if I've told you where the place is and now you know, and so you're judging them, and my relationship with them gets weird. You, you get it, right? I hope. Um, but a, a very large uh, supplier, probably the largest in the United States outside of Florida, worked for them. Um, it's one of the places I've worked. So I've kind of got a good sense of the fish industry. I've got a good sense from my fish room and fish rooms I visited and worked in and uh, stores I've worked in and large facilities about how to set up uh, a proper uh, facility. So I hope that's what I've done here. Um, that's been my intention. And basically what this is, is it's, it's automated as much as it can be. So water comes in, it goes through, and it comes through um, a tankless water heater. So it's a gas heated tankless water heater, which is great because that's about as economical a way as you can heat water. And um, it's water on demand. So it doesn't run out like a, like a hot water heater with a, a 50 gallon tank hot water heater or something could. So it doesn't run out of hot water. So that's great. Um, then on top of that, um, it, it goes from there to a mixing valve where it gets to, I keep, I have it go through at about 75 degrees. From there, it goes through a couple carbon blocks and um, those carbon blocks remove any chlorine that might be in the water and some other, you know, chemicals that could be in the water. And from there, it goes through um, a sprinkler system manifold and automatically um, goes to each rack of tanks. So what, what happens is, each rack goes on, um, the large 75 gallon racks, which is most of the fish room, um, each rack goes on for 15 minutes and then it goes to the next one for 15 minutes and then to the next one for 15 minutes and um, goes through the room. The small, the racks with smaller uh, volume tanks, like the 30 gallons and the five and a half gallon breeding setups and stuff like that, um, those um, go for, two minutes to five minutes, depending on the tank. So it goes through, then the system is off for half an hour to an hour. I can't remember exactly. 
And then after that, it starts again and goes through the cycle again. And it does that at night. Um, I don't want to rob my family of water during the day. And I use a lot of water. So um, it does that at night. And I believe it does that, um, is it four times? Yeah, it does that four times every night. And that equals, um, on the 75-gallon tanks, um, it used to be more, I've kind of dialed it back a little bit, but that equals about a 50% water change every day um, in the 75-gallon tanks. And the five and a half gallons, it also goes several times during the day. I think, let's see here, it goes at 10 a.m., 12 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., five more times during the day. And so that pretty much cycles 100% of the water every day in the smaller tanks. And that's because those are breeding tanks. So the water has to be kept really, really clean so that the, um, so that the breeding is successful, so the eggs are, are fertilized successfully and don't fungus. And then also, I, I raise a lot of fry in those tanks. And the key to raising fry successfully is a ton of food and super clean water. And it's hard to do both, right? If you feed a ton of food, you create, then, then a lot of waste is created in the aquarium. And, um, and that's no good. And if you keep the, so, so the key to that is feed a ton and change a ton of water. So that's why that system changes at least 100% of the water every 24 hours, uh, gradually over the course of the day, and maybe even a little more. So that's why I made that system that way. And so far it's been great. Um, I don't have any um, night, uh, let's start with ammonia. I don't have ammonia. Um, every now and then something will happen and mysteriously it'll somehow get some ammonia in there. Um, and what, hap what I do when that happens is um, I just um, stop feeding for a couple days and until the ammonia has been cycled through. And it usually only takes a couple days. And then I'll um, go ahead and start normal feeding again. I'll also add a little bit of Prime um, or Seachem Safe so that, um, so that hopefully the ammonia is less toxic <laughs> while it's being processed through. So every now and then that'll happen. But in general, in general, uh, no ammonia, no nitrite, and undetectable nitrate because I'm changing so much water. Um, and that way I can feed the fish well. One of the things that I was always frustrated with um, working in pet stores and wholesale facilities and places like that is, um, okay, so the fish come in, like say it's a wholesaler, the fish come in, right? They've been in, they've been in transit for a long time. They've, they've been caught in the wild or caught in the farm transferred to a holding facility where they've been probably in a bear tank and experienced quite a bit of stress for, for a while. Um, they probably haven't been fed great because those facilities don't want waste in their water. That'll kill the fish quicker than anything. Then from there, they've been packed up. They've been shipped to the United States to a trans shipper where um, they've been either held in, in aquariums and, and not fed. Um, and this is pretty brief. This is a quick turnaround at a transshipper or just the water in the bag was changed, okay? Then they've been repackaged and shipped to the wholesaler. And in the wholesaler's tank, um, where I would work, these fish would come in. They haven't eaten in a while. They've been stressed. Um, and so ideally they would get some real tender loving care. But the wholesaler, how the industry works, can't really afford to do that. Um, and so instead what they do is they try to flip the fish really quick. But there are times when that doesn't happen and the fish end up staying there for a while before they sell. And so one thing that always kind of uh, upset me was how, how fish at a wholesaler, if they were there for a while, the wholesaler couldn't risk feeding them a lot. I mean, they would feed them, don't get me wrong, they would be fed, but they wouldn't be fed a lot um, because that would foul the water and then the wholesaler would lose the fish, right? And you can't do that when you're in business. And so 
I tried to design this system. Oh, and also a lot of wholesalers, you know, they're in big cities and water's really expensive for them. And so it's, it's, it's hard for them to change a lot of water consistently because they have to pay for that. Um, and so they, they cycle the water often through big central systems and they do change water. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but they have to be really careful to not feed a lot because that will kill their fish really quickly in the systems they have. So you have these fish that come in and they've been through a lot and um, they, what would be the best for them is to be in an environment where they um, can settle, they have some hiding places or some cover and they get a lot of food and a lot of water changes so they can recover, right, from the stressful situations. Just like you, if you just went through a hellish week at work and you've been pulling in 80 hour weeks for a couple weeks, um, and you get stressed, you need some R&R time, right? Or you go on a business trip and you're on flights and you're catching Ubers and you're, you're running around from meeting to meeting to meeting, getting up early, hitting it hard all day long, and then trying to socialize and get contacts at night. Um, and then you get home and it's like, man, I'm exhausted. I need some recovery time. Well, it's, it's like that for the fish. And one thing that I like about the system I have is because it changes so much water is it allows me to bring the fish in and feed them a lot. So I feel like I can actually um, put them in a situation where they can relax and recover and gain some body weight back and get their immune system back on track um, before, <laughs> before I ship them out um, to someone. So, I feel like I've been successful with that. This batch of fish I got in, you'll see in some of the videos and, and stuff, especially some of the rainbow fish, on the pectoral fins is where you see it the most. The little, you know, these little ones um, by the gills. <laughs> Those little fins, yeah. Um, you'll see some ammonia burn sometimes. That's just, uh, that's that's part of the shipping process when, when they send lots of fish in a bag. And so I'll put those in the tanks, a lot of fresh water, a lot of good food and some cover in there. I mean, they aren't fully decorated or anything, but they don't have to be. A little patch of plants, um, some somewhere for them to feel like they can go hide under the sponge filter, whatever. Um, and what I noticed is that within a few days, the ammonia burn would, would be healing up um, and they would be out and about and looking for food and comfortable and be recovering. And so, um, I usually take about two weeks from when I buy a fish before I'll sell it again so that I can get them through a whole round of medicines and then uh, get them fattened up and comfortable and hardy again before I ship them on. So I feel like the system really helps me do that and I'm proud of that. Um, the idea that I can get a group of fish in and feed them heavily and treat them well um, and not have to worry about contaminants in the water and um, ammonia buildup. Although I check that, you know, if I see a fish struggling, that's the first thing I check is ammonia, nitrite, and nitrate. Um, but in general, it's been pretty successful. And it's been up and running full steam for about a month now. Um, got a lot of catfish in the tanks uh, back in September, um, and they've been doing well too. So I, I like the system. So that, that automatic water change is really helpful. Um, now it doesn't I have sponges over the overflows because I don't want plants to get into the overflow um, and clog it or a snail or fish to get sucked in um, because then a, it's not good for the fish, but B, it could clog the system and then I have a big flood in here, which is okay. I mean, it's, it's a fully water friendly facility with floor drains. So if I get water on the floor, that's fine. I just goes to the drain and doesn't damage its cement walls and epoxy floors, so it's fine. But um, but I didn't want that, so I sponges over it. So what that means is it doesn't really remove surface film really well, um, and it doesn't suck up mulm from the bottom of the tanks. So, um, in, especially in tanks with catfish and stuff, those catfish are constantly kicking that up. Um, and so sometimes there's 
the water is, I don't want to call it cloudy. There's, there's a little bit of debris floating in the water, so it's not crystal clear, but chemically it is beautiful. And so that's what that system does for me. Um, so let's move on from water to filtration since we're talking about, um, talking about uh, particulates in the water. So the filtration I have is super, super simple. Um, it's all on one centralized linear piston pump from Gemco. Um, plug for Gemco. I, I'm not an affiliate of theirs. I'm not paid to say that or anything. I, I don't get a discount for saying this or anything like that. But I've been working with that company for years. Quality products, good prices, and, and, and expertise if you need help. So I can't say enough good things about that company. Gemco, if you need supplies for your fish store. So anyway, I went to Gemco and I, I bought a linear piston pump. Uh, it powers the entire room. And it each tank has two filters, at least on the vast majority of the tanks. All the 75 gallons have two filters. Um, some of the breeding things don't because I don't want to suck up babies and, and stuff like that uh, in baby food. But um, so one is a sponge filter, just a standard sponge filter. You can you can see them behind me kind of right here is one um, and that's just for biological filtration so um, it takes care of the the nitrogen cycle basically for me and then next to that in each tank I have a little box filter which is actually a cylinder <laughs> but they're called box filters and that has marbles on the bottom to keep it from floating and then it's stuffed with a uh, polyfill um, just I believe it's just polyester filter floss type stuff. And I get it by the 10 pound box at Walmart. Uh, what's 10 pounds is 20 bucks and lasts you know, six months to a year. Um, it's just the stuff that you use to stuff pillows with and, and crafts with. And, it, and the idea behind that is that that sucks in the particulates and helps polish the water. And it does, um, but it's not like a power filter, which like a hot magnum would, would clear up a tank pretty quick. So it does suck up the particulates, but it doesn't do it to the point of making them show tanks where it's crystal clear. And that's not what I'm going for either. Um, I'm going for fish health. I'm not going so much for looks. And I'm going for ease of maintenance, not so much for looks. But, um, but those filters do a decent job and they do keep the particulates uh, somewhat under control. So the, especially in, in tanks where you have quarry catfish, this is what they're great for, especially in a bare bottom tank, um, is they, as they swim and, and, and go around the bottom, they're constantly stirring up the mulm and the detritus so that it can be sucked into the filter. And if I didn't have uh, sponges covering my, my overflows, it would also all be sucked up into there and go out the waste line. But, but since I do have those I'm more paranoid about things clogging the system <laughs> than I am about molmen particulates in the tank. So, so, but a lot of people don't cover their uh, overflows. And so that can help with the particulates as well, as well as the uh, uh, stuff that accumulates on the surface too. So anyway, that's the filter system. Um, and the bubbles do break up the surface uh, tension, that film you get on the surface. And so, you know, it, it all works together, but, that's kind of the automatic water system, and that's the filter system. It's that simple. I don't have a single power filter in here. Um, well, I do in storage. Um, under the shelves is storage, um, but I'm not using them. Um, so something that sets this room apart from any other room I've had, um, I need to thank Bob Allen for this. Bob Allen is this um, major cichlid breeder. Um, one of those great old time hobbyists that's been doing it forever. Um, a lot of African cichlids, um, does some other stuff too, does some geophagus, does some rainbow fish, some odds and ends, but mostly it's African cichlids. And um, he, I was at his fish room and we were looking around and talking and stuff. And he had this um, HRV. I think it's what it's called, heat recovery ventilator. Yeah. And I, I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, you have to have one of these. And he explained how it works and everything. And so I got one. And what they are, this, these are amazing. So think they prevent the air from getting stale. That's what they do. They keep the air 
circulating and bringing fresh air constantly. And it's, a, it's so nice. So every fish room I've had before, um, I've, they haven't all been well insulated, but ideally like the one I had as a kid was not well insulated, but think about your average fish room. It's this insulated box and you're trying to keep all the heat in or on really hot days, all the heat out. And so you insulate it really well. And that means there's no air exchange. So it gets really humid and muggy and nasty. And if you're not careful, you can get mold and things. So what do you do? You get a dehumidifier, right? That's what I did. And that's fine. That's great. So the dehumidifier helps relieve the humidity so you don't get the mold and things like that. But there's a couple problems with dehumidifiers. One, they're super expensive. They work uh, the same way as a refrigerator or an air conditioner um, by condensing. And the condensers, um, are they cost a lot to run. And so they're a little bit expensive to run. The other thing is they create a lot of heat. Now, if you're trying to heat your fish room, that's a bonus. But if you get hot in the summers, that can be a big problem. Um, so, but they do take the humidity down and that can make it so that you don't have all that nasty kind of muggy, you know, dripping from the ceiling and mold growing and, you know, it feeling like floor, a Florida swamp every time you go in there. Um, but dehumidifiers don't freshen the air at all. So, so we create these environments where the air is never exchanged and I would have to open the door every now and then just to get some fresh air in because it got so unpleasant. The great thing about the HRV, I think it's that instead of HVR, uh, heat recovery ventilator. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, is it does this, is it, um, it sucks out the old air and brings in fresh air to replace it. And mine does 267 cubic feet a minute. That's how much air it recirculates in here. So it's constantly keeping the air in here fresh. And you'll think, oh, but man, that's gonna kill me. It's winter outside and it's gonna be blowing all this freezing cold air in and it's gonna be hard to heat. And that's where the uh, recovery part of this comes in. So in the, in the center of this unit, there's a core and what the core does is it traps the heat from the air that's going out and infuses that heat into the air that's coming in. So yes, there is a little bit of heat loss, but the air coming in isn't freezing cold. It's a little cooler than the air in here for sure. And yes, it does need to be heated, but it's fresh air. And because of the recovery core on the heat recovery ventilator, um, there's, there's, there is some heat loss, but it's at a very minimum. Okay. And so that's great. There was a time when I shut the unit off because I was making a video and didn't want the noise. Um, and I forgot to turn it back on and I came in just a couple hours later and it was miserable down here. I mean, it was muggy. It smelled bad. Um, I've got microworm cultures and live food cultures and all this stuff going down here and um you know that, that there's a certain odor to that and so i turned on the heat recovery ventilator and within i don't i don't know the exact time but shortly after it was nice again so one thing i really like about the fish room that i did this time is it's pleasant it's pleasant to be down here um it's nice to be down here it doesn't smell bad it smells fresh it smells nice so if you are making a dedicated fish room, um, I can't highly enough recommend an HRV system. Now they're expensive, yes, but they make it so the fish room is somewhere you want to go, is pleasant to be in. Um, and, and they just take care of so many of those problems we have. Oh, they also, at least where I live, it's a pretty dry climate. I'm in Wyoming and um, you know, out here in the West, it's, it's fairly, it's not very humid. And so it keeps my uh, humidity down too. So right now the fish room is at 79 degrees and at 36% humidity. And that's about where it stays. It fluctuates from 77 to 79 degrees in here. Um, and the aquariums typically run one or two degrees cooler than the temperature of the room itself. 
so that's how I maintain it. So it keeps my humidity down as well. So I don't have a humidity problem. Now, if you live in a moist climate somewhere back east or something where it's fairly uh, humid, then there are heat recovery ventilators that also um, remove humidity as well. I didn't get one because I didn't need it. Um, but there are models you can look at for that. And I forget what they're called, but if you research uh, humidity recovery or heat recovery ventilators and humidity or whatever, if you Google that, it'll, it'll all pop up. So anyway, I'll never go back. Um, I'm so glad I did that. Um, so many of the fish stores and wholesale places and fish rooms and things I visit or have worked in or had in the past have just been unpleasant. Um, and this isn't. <laughs> I love being down here. I can spend all day down here and be perfectly comfortable. So look into those. You'll be glad you did. And it's worth the money. I know it's an upfront cost, um, but it's, it's, I, I'll never go back. Then the other thing while we're talking about heat that I did is I, I got a dedicated furnace down here and it's a gas furnace um, and it does a great job. And actually we, we, we installed it so that the heat recovery ventilator blows fresh air right by the intake of the furnace. And so when the furnace kicks on, it sucks in that air. It's a little cooler because it came from outside. Uh, it went through the exchanger and heats it up. And then it's that hot air that blows into the fish room. Um, of course, when the furnace hasn't kicked on, it's just that it doesn't do that. But whenever the furnace is working, it's automatically heating the air coming in through the heat recovery ventilator. So um, it's very efficient with, with how well this is insulated. And while we're talking about heat, it's spray foam insulation. Um, it's expensive. Um, it's not something you can do yourself. You kind of have to hire someone to do it. I mean, you could get spray cans and do it, but that would cost you a lot more than hiring a contractor to come do it. Um, he had this hazmat suit and all, it was a big deal. And um, we couldn't be in the house for like a day after he did it. You know, it's, it's, not, some, it's not something you want to be doing yourself. Let's just say that. But anyway, the walls and the ceiling I'll have two to four inches um, of the spray foam insulation on. And so it seals it up nice and tight. And it's like, it's like living in a, a shipping box. You know, it's, it's well insulated or a cooler that you heat instead of cool, I guess. Um, but it's been very efficient. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did that too because uh, the cost of heating this thing is not nearly what it would be if we hadn't done the spray foam. Also, um, oh, I had another thought about it. I forget. Now it's ugly. I mean, it's it's this uh, it's this yellow stuff you see right here above my finger in between these aquariums, above my finger right here. Um, you know, it's ugly. And I could have done studs and then sheetrocked and made it all pretty, but I wanted it water friendly. So if there was a flood, it wouldn't hurt anything. And this stuff, it's just the insulation's water friendly. It won't damage it at all if it gets wet. Um, and also just the cost and everything. I was like, look, the purpose of this room is to keep fish in. They don't care about that. And I really don't either. Um, it's not like a showroom. It's not a re well, it is a retail store, but it's not like a, yeah, it's not a showroom. So, um, I would love to have what Joey has, that beautiful, that beautifully finished gallery. But this is very practical. And so that's why I went that way. And I'm glad I did. Um, it keeps it cozy and keeps my cost down, which is great. Speaking of cost down, uh, lighting in here, nothing fancy. It's just LEDs, most of which are just like the cheap LED shop lights that you buy on Amazon. I think the brand I got was Hycolity or something like that. It was like 40, 44 bucks for a four foot LED, I think. Um, and so I could light each tank for about 40 bucks. And so that's what I did. Um, I did get a few uh, beams work lights for the smaller tanks. And I got a few, um, I watched Bob Steenfont's video and got, oh, what's that brand he's working with? I uh, got a couple of them too. Is it Dream Aqua or Aqua Dream or something like that? Um, and they're, they're pretty much 
they're very similar. Neat, aqua neat, that's what it is. And I found them to be pretty similar. So I got some of those for the smaller tanks. Um, I didn't really end up liking one more than the other. So whichever's cheapest is the way to go for those as far as the way I'm using them. So they're all LEDs. They don't kick out a lot of heat. Um, although those cheap lights kick out a little more <laughs> than, than you would expect. But so lighting is pretty energy efficient in here. It's all on a timer. So lights kick on about seven. Well, at seven o'clock, a couple lights kick on in the room. Um, but not the lights over the tanks so the fish can kind of gradually wake up. And then at 7.30, the lights on the tanks kick on with the hope that since some other lights have been on, it doesn't startle the fish. And then the lights go off at nine o'clock. Um, and then the lights in the room go off at 7.30. So I'm trying to like gradually get the light on and gradually take the light off at night. Um, and then the water changes start at nine o'clock. I mean, it's all automatic. It's all on timers. Um, at least the vast majority of it is. So, so that's good too. I would recommend that. Then, uh, especially if you have plants and stuff, photo cycle, um, light cycle for your plants is, is automatic. Um, and for me, it just keeps everything stable. Um, so that's lighting, heat, uh, air freshening, <laughs> air exchange. Um, oh, the floor. So the floor in this thing is, let me just show you here. This is all epoxy. So this is an old cement floor and um, it was nasty. Part of it had carpet, part of it was paint, part of it was old linoleum. Uh, it was just gross. So I, uh, I stripped the entire floor down. I have videos on YouTube about it. It was horrible. I would never do it again. I would pay a specialist. Like don't, don't ever grind cement yourself. It's not worth it. It's dusty, it's nasty. You have to wear a respirator, um, that dust gets everywhere, and um, it's hard to get a feel for how to grind it exactly even, and all these things. So I would hire a professional next time. But anyway, I did it, and it's got this beautiful coat of epoxy on it, um, with you know these little color chips that make it all pretty. And then it's got some grit in there so that you don't slip on it if it gets wet. And then there's a floor drain. So that's been awesome. I don't have to worry about anyone slipping. I don't have to worry about water getting down there. It's, um, it's easy to sweep up or vacuum up with a shop vac, and then I can just squeegee water to the drain if I need to. And um, I, have, I did have a flood once. Um, I, had, I over-tightened one of the um, solenoid valves in the manifold for the automatic water system. And so it cracked one of the PVC tubes and I didn't know that until the next morning. And so I, there was a couple inches of water <laughs> in the uh, fish room uh, that came down uh, because that thing leaked pretty well or pretty bad, I guess. Um, but it wasn't a problem because um, it all went down the drain um, a little bit. There were pools here and there where the floor isn't exactly even and you know, there's stuff on the floor that it kind of gets under and takes a little while to dry. But with the air exchanger going um, and the floor drain and the epoxy floors and cement walls that just have spray foam on them, it wasn't a problem. So these epoxy floors are wonderful. Um, whatever floor you decide, if you can make it water friendly, just think of this. If, if, you had a ma if the worst case scenario happened and you had a massive flood in your fish room, because one day you will... Um, what's the best uh, thing you could do so you wouldn't have to worry about that? And so far it's been working well for me the way I have it. Uh, you could do a bare cement floor and just seal it too. I would have done that if the floor was in good shape, but it was so bad I had to, I had to do something. I had to do the epoxy on it. Not cheap, um, pretty nail biting when you put it down because you've got like 20 to 40 minutes from the time you mix that stuff until you put it down and if you don't get it down and get it right, you got a problem. And I'd never done it before. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns and stuff. But in the end, it worked out well. So, so the epoxy floor was, was a, a good choice. Um, let's see here. I think that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. We've talked about water. We've talked about heat. We've talked about air. We've talked about the floor. Um, oh, the aquariums. <laughs> so the aquariums are on these stands that I built Ted Judy style. That's where I got the idea. Um, 
I did have one that um, that was on a very uneven spot on the floor, and even though I shimmed it and stuff, it wanted to lean, and so I squared it up um, by putting uh, plywood on it. So like this right here, this is plywood that's going across, and so on each on each part. Um, so I put plywood in those spots on that one rack because it wanted to lean because of how uneven the floor is. Um, and so with the plywood there, it keeps everything nice and square. It's like three quarter inch plywood. It's strong. Um, and so as long as it stays dry and everything, um, which hopefully it will, um, it doesn't go all the way to the floor, by the way, so that uh, if there's ever a flood, it won't damage the plywood. But that one rack, I had a little lean going on it, so fixed it that way. The rest, I'm keeping a really close eye on. So far, no problems at all. Um, if I ever notice one starting to lean, um, then I'll put more plywood on. Um, it's really hard for it to lean if it's got a nice plywood brace going across. So um, I know some people have had trouble with that. I know Greg Sage has. He, he made a, uh, a video about that. but. So far I haven't, and uh, so hopefully I won't, and if I do, I know how to fix it. So so I went with that system. The aquariums are, the vast majority are 75 gallon tanks. I like that size because um, A, when you're bringing fish in, importing fish or transshipping fish in, um, you have to buy them in bulk. That's just how it works, a, a fish farm, or a collector isn't gonna to wanna to send you 10 fish. Um, that's not worth their time. They wanna send you uh, maybe 100 fish minimum, um, or more, or, or 70, just depending on the fish and the size and the value and all that. So I got larger tanks so that I can accommodate larger um, portions of each species. I generally, as a rule, that often gets broken, but in general, uh, I like to keep one species per aquarium. And with the 75 gallons, I can do that. Um, I also, the other reason I went with 75 gallons is it's 18 inches front to back instead of a 55, which is only 12. So it, it lets me pack a lot more water volume in a room on a rack um, just because it's six inches deeper. I thought about going with a 90 gallon because that's two feet front to back or even 120 gallon. Um, but two things. One, a 90 gallon or 120 gallon would be taller, and I want plenty of space between the top of the tank and, yeah, I want plenty of space above each aquarium so that I can get in there and work on it um, and not bump my head and not be reaching my arm through this tiny little thing to try to grab a big fit, you know, none of that. So um, I, I've worked in those situations before. So I wanted plenty of space. And with the 90 gallon and the 120 gallon, they're taller, so I'd have less space. Um, so I didn't do that. And then the other thing is just the economics of it. Once you get to a 90 gallon or 120 gallon, they're so much more expensive. I think the glass is thicker. And so um, the cost of those is so much more than a 75. So if you look at what it costs to buy a 90 gallon or 120 gallon and you calculate that cost divided by the gallons, and then you do it for 75 gallon, there's a huge difference. And so I went with the 75 gallons um, just for the economics of it. So the other thing is they're a height that is nice. They're not too tall. And so you can reach in and get to the bottom easily if you have to. Um, and in the end, I'm glad I did that um, because reaching all the way to the back corner with the 18 inch depth front to back that a 75 gallon has. It turns out after working on these for a while, that that's about as far as I wanna go. Um, the 120 gallon is two feet, it's six more inches. And when you're up on a step ladder on a top tank trying to reach into the back corner, um, that could make it a little difficult. So 75 gallons, I, so far, I love them. And they let you keep a lot of fish in one tank and they're easy to maintain. And, and I like them, they're four feet long, so they give the fish a nice uh, swimming area. Uh, 
there's a lot you can do in a 75 gallon tank. So I'm really pleased so far. Um, if I had all the money in the world and a little more space, I'd probably go for 120 gallons. Um, I probably would, but I'm good with the 75s. And then there's another breeding rack, another rack that's breeding a bunch of five and a half gallon tanks and some 20 gallons. Um, and I'm going to put a bunch of little fry containers on there too, little plastic shoe boxes for fry. Um, I have space to do that. Right now I have live food cultures there. Um, I just don't have it in me right now to, <laughs> to build another set of racks with uh, the whole, all the drain system and all that. I'm just, I need a little break from doing that. I've spent almost a year building this sucker and um, I can still breed just fine, uh, you know, without that system. But, but one day soon, I'm gonna put that up because that'll allow me to raise a lot more fry. Um, and so that and the 30 gallon rack, which I've had forever, 30 gallon breeders, my, one of my favorite size aquariums, I can fit three high. Um, they're great for raising batches of fry. They're great for putting in breeding colonies. Um, they're a great all round size tank. So several of those too. So those are kind of the aquariums. Um, the shelf for live foods and then a couple um a couple things let me show you this so this is important this is a slop sink and a working table so that table is where i can um work right by the sink <laughs> it's like an extension of the counter so and it's it's at a height i propped it up on cinder blocks so it's at a height where it's comfortable to stand and work at so when i'm packing fish i do it there when i'm uh, creating live food cultures, I do it there. When I'm gathering food to feed out, I do it there. I also have a, a push rack on wheels that I can, you know, wheel around the fish room and feed things or uh, collect eggs into different containers from, you know, things like that. But, but work tables is, is amazing. I was originally going to put more tanks in. I was going to bring all the tanks out to this awkward pillar, uh, where is uh, this way. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, this white thing behind my head, this pillar, what that is, is the original coal chimney from there was a coal, a coal furnace in this house and taking that thing out would be a horrendous chore or a ton of money to pay someone. It goes all the way up to the ceiling. Um, and the house has been built around it and with it. And so, um, I'm leaving it there, but originally I was going to bring all the tanks up to that. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that, um, so I was going to put more aquariums in, but just having the space to walk around and work and eventually put like a couch in here, or a lazy boy, something like that. I love Rachel O'Leary's chair. That's what I want. I want a late Rachel O'Leary type chair. Um, a big lazy boy to sit in and watch the fish, something like that. But, um, but having the space is nice. It doesn't feel cramped in here. You come down and there's quite a bit of space that, that isn't used by anything. And so I can do things like, you know, unpack lights and leave some boxes around for a bit until the snow stops outside and I can take them out to the recycling. Um, you know, I can, I can set up a table, a folding table real quick. If I need to do a project, I can build stuff. There's, there's some room and that's, that's something I didn't plan on, um, but I'm glad that it ended up that way. So yeah, leave yourself some room, leave yourself some room to expand, leave yourself some room just to breathe. Um, if you're doing a fish room, leave, leave a good third of it empty if you can. I, I know not everyone has the room to do something big, but if you have the space, leave some of it empty. Um, you'll be glad you did working space. Um, and just relaxing space. And then also as things progress, you can be like, oh, I need one of these. Oh, I didn't think about this or this other thing. And then you have some space where you can add to and put those things in. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's, it's been, uh, we're going on about an hour. And so that's the first live stream. Um, thanks for being here. And, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and a little bit about the fish room. Um, so this will go live in a second. If, if you're not here and it, 
or live in a second. This will be posted to YouTube in, in a little while. So if you couldn't make it to the live stream, if you have any questions or comments or anything, um, I feel free to, to leave them. I don't mind answering questions at all. I like getting a dialogue going. I like chatting with you guys. It's fun. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. And I'm going to do these live streams um, now that I finally figured out how to do it and have the technology. And I'm pretty sure this worked well. Um, I'm going to figure out how to do chat and all that next. Um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But um, I think this worked okay. So I'm planning on continuing these. I don't know the schedule yet. I don't know like when other people live stream and how to work around that yet or any of that. Um, and so, but I'll be coming up with a regular schedule pretty soon. But in the meantime, thanks for watching. Thanks for being here. And um, I'll catch you next time.